Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Okay, great to have you with us on the show today. By the way, Joe Lenardi, here it is April 24th. Joe Lenardi put out his preseason bracketology. <laughs> he has the Patriot winner being Lehigh. His number one seeds are Duke, Kansas, Gonzaga, and Villanova. He has Maryland in as a nine seed, Michigan State as a two, Ohio State as a five. He has Michigan as a three. He has Purdue as a six. Nebraska as a nine. And yes, he has Penn State in as a ten. And they would face in an NIT semifinal rematch, Mississippi State. According to Joe Lenardi in Jacksonville to play the winner of Virginia, UC Davis. So there you go. <laughs> he has, let's see, you'll like this. He already has last four buys are Arizona State, Penn State, NC State, Notre Dame. Last four in are Oklahoma State, Marquette, USC, Texas A&M. First four out, though, he has Alabama, Arizona, Texas, and Baylor. Next four out, St. Joe's, Indiana, Creighton, and Wisconsin. (laughs) Oh, you know, I think the world of Joe Lenardi, so we go back many, many years. All right, time now for our play-by-play call today. Moments away, by the way, from Neil Kulong. Last night, uh, Nolan Arenado, it's a two-run homer, but I think it's more important as to who called it. And that ball is shot in the left field. Fire up the fountains. She's gone. Jenny Kavner on AT&T Sportsnet, the first woman to call a Major League Baseball game play-by-play. Congratulations, Jenny. Great call on the Nolan Arenado home run. All right, let's bring in Neil Kulong now, USA Today. Uh, you know, I know that you know Neil and I would rather maybe talk baseball because, I mean, it's beautiful baseball weather out there, as always, Neil. Oh, it's great to be here. I love, uh, I love early, early spring baseball. It's so exciting and it matters so oh, much. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, nothing like uh, going to the ballpark in a parka. Uh, <laughs> What a great what a great feel. <laughs> All right, so round one comes up and the verdict is that's the uh that's the the 25 cent question, isn't it? I mean, it, it's uh to me and I'm not at all dismissing the possibility that the Steelers end up getting a great player 
um, with the 28th overall pick. From what we can see today, I don't think there's a reason to be particularly excited about this player. Um, you know, I, I probably said something very similar to this back in uh, 2012 when David DeCastro happened to fall to them mm-hmm. uh, with the 24th overall pick. So I'm not ruling out the possibility of something like that. But with a draft like this, you've got six quarterbacks that very well could go um, in, in the first round. With that, I, I suppose there is a possibility that uh, that could kind of force somebody to, you know, much further down the draft than um, they, they probably would have otherwise projected to go. But a lot needs to break the Steelers' way, I think, to get a real game-changing player. I think they can get a solid player. I've mentioned Justin Reed a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, logically speaking, I think he's probably going to be the one who's available at a position of need and fits uh, the, the motif of the Steelers' first-round pick. He, he's a good athlete. That, that's the type of player they've been drafting recently. Uh, they need some help at that position, certainly in the future, if not right away. And I, I, I think he fits the mold. Um, so if, if, if he's available, I think he's probably the guy. I don't see a whole lot of reason why he would either be there or not be there. So to be right. honest, um, it, it's it's anybody's guess. Really, the draft comes to you when you're drafting that late. Um, it, it, the real intrigue, I think, is the, the possibility of um, a, a trade up or even a trade down. And again, I think that largely depends on uh, where the quarterbacks are going. And that's the biggest mystery. Where are the quarterbacks going? All right, when you've looked at this, in your opinion, who are the best quarterbacks? Uh, that's tough. It's tough. They, they all have positives and they all have negatives. I think that's yeah. something um, it, it's getting a little bit blown out of proportion. This isn't, you know, six Andrew Luck-level prospects. These aren't, like, <laughs> high-level guys. You know, right. they, they all have problems or their, their ceilings aren't particularly all that high, um, but they're quarterbacks, and there are a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. And certainly if there was a season that we noticed that, it was 2017, uh, considering the, the level of quarterback play that we saw, so with it, these guys' value is probably going to go up higher than uh, what you'd think that it would be. But that's that's kind of typical of the quarterback position. You know, right. you, you expect that to happen. So um, overall, with everything considered, I think probably Rosen is best um, for everything. Um, there are issues with his game that I don't particularly like. He's not the athlete that you'd want to see, uh, especially when you put him in comparison to, to a Sam Darnold, to a Josh Allen. Um, but, but I think he does everything well enough to say he's probably the best guy, uh, the most solid, the guy with the, the most probably, um, you know, the, the face of the franchise type of guy I think is more like a Sam Darnold. I, I, mm-hmm. I would expect he's going to be the number one pick, although I have a sneaky feeling that, that uh, John Dorsey in Cleveland, uh, knowing the, the amount of rope that he's probably going to have and accepting the job in Cleveland to begin with and the amount of moves that he's made up to this point, um, he, he might have bought himself a little bit of capital to take a project like Allen, who definitely has the most upside of anybody uh, in the draft. Um, he's got a lot of work that he needs to do, but Dorsey's, you know, he, he's developed quarterbacks before. He's not uh, not unfamiliar with the idea of drafting a guy who's not going to play right away, and they, they set their team up to do exactly that. And with that said, I mean, you know, you take the take the best take the the best talent at that position. I could see why he'd want to do that, but. Darnold is probably more of the safe choice. Um, Mayfield, you're, you're kind of concerned with uh, the, the height of his ceiling. He's not the biggest guy out there. Um, a little, you know, a question or two about the offense that he played in. Can he translate well into the NFL? But, you know, those are questions that you could ask of just about any prospect. So um, between those four, I think those are, are, you know, it very well could be the first four guys taken. And it wouldn't surprise me. I made this prediction before. Uh, two of the first five picks are traded, and the first four picks are quarterbacks. Right. I think it would be those four if that's the way the cards fell. Right. No, I I completely understand that. Can you know, 
would it behoove the Steelers to trade down and get more picks? Um, I, I think it would just simply because I don't think 28 in this draft is noticeably better than 35 right. or 40. I agree with that. I think it, it's a it's a log jam in that that uh, first second round bucket. You know, you put guys in there. Pretty much no team is ever going to have 32 first round prospects that they scouted. It, just, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, it's not a linear formula the way that the mock drafting society seems to think that it is. Teams want to put together, you know, guys that fit a first round pick by their own definition. That's a franchise decision. It's a philosophical decision that they make. It's put together by the GM. So with that they're probably not going to find that many guys who fit that mold, but they create a, a, a second bucket, if you will, of guys that they would take in the first round who are probably more of a second-round pick based on their philosophy. You know, that kind of a tiebreaker comes down to things like character or schematic fit, you know, things of that nature. Um, they're almost guaranteed to draft a guy like that. So really, you know, I, I, you look at T.J. Watt, for example. I think he's a, a paradigm example of that one-two bucket. Um, they would have been really happy to pick up a third-round pick and draft T.J. Watt at 35. <laughs> if they right, had that sure. opportunity, they absolutely would have done that. Um, it comes down to who wants somebody at 28. And really, the time that that happens is quarterback. So if, if you have somebody like Rudolph, perhaps, you know, maybe he falls down to that spot. If the Steelers don't really want him all that much, and I think that's kind of why they're putting up the smoke screen that they're not against the idea of taking a quarterback, mm-hmm. it, it sets up a trade market for somebody who wants to come back in. So I, I think more than anything – they have to be cognizant of the fact that this might be the best opportunity uh, that they've had under Kevin Colbert to, to trade out of the first round completely. All right. Uh, I mean, I think that's, I think all that makes sense. Uh, to you, you, you watch this all the time. We hear the great value is in obviously quarterback, defensive end, maybe even left tackle. To you, is that where the game is right now, or what? How do you see it in terms of pure value? You know, the NFL is cyclical, and to to some degree, everything. Paraphrase Bill Parcells: the the NFL will get eventually what the college game is giving them. And I think if you look at a bigger picture over the last decade or so, what it's really given, um, what's come from the spread offense is a lot of receivers. You've been able to find gold in, in later rounds right. of drafts, and you still can. Yep. A lot of guys are playing receiver, whereas a generation ago, you didn't have as many of them getting on the field and, and really putting tape out to, to show scouts. So it, you didn't have highly talented guys going in the third round for one reason or another. And it, the Steelers are certainly a team that's capitalized on that. Um, that's really kind of the direction of the game. It, it's your passing offense. And if you have a, a quarterback that can throw the ball well, Accurately, uh, they want to find guys to, to get on the field, basically to, to make the quarterback's job easier. Um, to, to your point, yeah, I mean, you can never have enough pass rush. That's the best way we've seen over the last decade or so in the NFL to stop the high-power quarterbacks that, that have permeated the game, put them on the ground, get in his face. Um, those guys will, will never go out of vogue. <laughs> they're, they're always going to be popular. But more and more, I think really what we're seeing is um, you're kind of hybrid linebacker, defensive back type of guy that gives you some versatility in your your, uh, uh, your your secondary packages. You know your nickel formation. If you have a guy that can line up um, kind of as a safety, kind of as a, a linebacker, and create you know kind of an anti mismatch for an offense that runs a six seven tight end in the slot um, mm-hmm. and on passing downs, those types of guys are becoming more and more valuable. And I think we saw that um, to, to some degree with. 
uh, Tyron Matthew, when right. he first came out, um, he was a guy that wasn't really thought of in very high regard. But to me, it looks a lot like Minka Fitzpatrick, you know? Right. So the, the value of that position has gone up. And that, that's not to say that Fitzpatrick uh, um, isn't a legit first-round guy, uh, and Matthew uh, didn't have problems coming into it. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. When Matthew came out, I was very high on somebody picking him because I just thought that kind of hybrid, which I felt Polamalu really had started had had perfected in the league. I mean, Fitzpatrick to me is is that style of player. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think he's quite the athlete that Polamalu was. No, Polamalu today is is a top ten pick. If Fitzpatrick is around that level, Polamalu certainly is. You know, right. the, the level of athleticism that he showed. It just it wasn't a position considered to be you know of of a significant need. So teams didn't often take guys like that in the top half. That's why the Steelers were able to trade up to, what was 16, I think, with the Chiefs. Um, they, they went up 13 picks to go get him, and then they revolutionized the way uh, secondary football was played. You know, it, it, at that point, you really had Polamalu, Ed Reed, and Baltimore guys that, that played all over the field. <laughs> they weren't Ed really Reed. any one kind of safety. They were their own safety, you know. It, lots of different things that they're able to do. And with that, I, I think we've seen the rise of these, these hybrid defensive backs because of it. And to me, that that's really where defensive football is going to have to go. You're going to have to find guys that can stop the run and defend the pass and play at an elite level in terms of athleticism. It's interesting you mentioned that because you mentioned Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu, Tyron Matthew. Well, Polamalu, I'm doing a game in the Meadowlands. And he makes a play. He picks off a pass and runs it back for a touchdown. Uh, you could see the anticipation, how smart he was. I think he was just a sophomore when he did that, and I was doing that. And then Ed Reed, I think I saw Ed Reed, I want to say a year later, two years later. <laughs> that game was over with. Jack Ham and I looked at each other and said, That guy's got a dozen years in the NFL coming out. I don't care what anybody says. You could, you could, on the college level, if, you, if you're looking, you can see stuff. I I would agree with that a thousand percent. And as far as Ed Reed goes, the best part is, I think he went a pick before the Steelers were on the board. And that was in the 20s. Like Ed Reed went in the 20s. I mean, that's. I know. It's it's amazing how much the game has changed for the exact reasons that you mentioned. Guys looked at that but didn't see a way to kind of make them the, the, the focal point of a defense. And he really could do that with a guy like Reed because he was everywhere. You know, I don't know if this makes sense or not, but to me, Ed Reed is the smartest safety I ever saw play. And Polamalu was the most instinctive. Reed knew what they were going to do. Polamalu was cleared out during the play. You know, and right. the, watching the two of them in the same division for as long as they played, I mean, we'll, we'll never see that again. And not only that, I felt that they were two guys that just on pure, pure movement before the snap then dictated to an offense what they should or shouldn't do, and it fouled them up. Yeah, that that did not happen from the safety position before. No. You know, you talk to people in Philadelphia, Brian Dawkins is the end-all, be-all of safeties. But he was an in-the-box traditional kind of guy, not yeah. to take anything away from him at all. But no. what Reed and Polamalu were doing was so much different than what safeties had ever done prior to that. And now it's almost like a mandate. Uh, it, lots of teams are drafting those highly athletic safeties, and it's, it's permeating down into college where they're, they're having you know, – typically it was the, the uber-athletic kid – um, at that size, that six foot, one ninety, whatever it is, at the high school level, they're playing on offense. You know, there, there's no right. doubt about it. Nowadays, you're seeing the best offense on a, a team of not large size. He's playing in the secondary. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many more opportunities uh, for players of that ability to play in the secondary and play all over the place. Well, those guys are rare. That's why Steeler fans have been, I think, somewhat 
spoiled by the fact that they've had since Polamalu a lot of in the box you know safeties because there aren't a lot of Polamalu's and Reeds. If they were, they'd be littered all over the place. Exactly. You, you wouldn't uh, you, you wouldn't be calling them out as revolutionary players from, right. from the 2000s. You know, if, if there were that many of them available. Um, maybe Fitzpatrick can be that. I'm not sure on uh, James being that type of guy, but they're, they're versatile athletes. They're presenting themselves yeah. as that. Um, it, it's just it, it's tough to see the game today uh, with players like that being able to just step in and, and produce yeah. at that level. Look, Bobby Orr changed hockey by rushing the puck. I can tell you that today they try to, but they don't do it the way he does. <laughs> okay, no, no, there are no Bobby Orrs out there. There are guys that are moving the puck, but there are no Bobby Orrs. All right, Neil, thanks so much. Appreciate it. And Bobby Orr cannot play safety. All right, just so you know. That's right. <laughs> probably, probably and, true. Thanks for having and, me. Uh, you know, I gotta let, before I let you go, though, I just want to make sure that you know, and I'm going to get tickets for you and me both, Friday's Pirates game because it's Pirates Umbrella Day. All right, so. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's what it looks like here right now. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. Thanks. We'll talk to you. <laughs> Neil Kulong, USA Today. Coming up in the final half hour, Matt Lombardo, beat writer for the New York Giants on NJ.com as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. So I guess you're telling me that after this morning's staff meeting, um, Mark Lawrence was willing to drive the suit out to the uh, golf course. Yes. Mm-hmm. And have him stay there. <laughs> <laughs> or he had to dart out for another meeting or something or other. So. Uh, like... <laughs> I assume the suit's been out practicing. Boy, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, come on. It's for the betterment of the team. Betterment of the team? He roots against us. I know. I know. That's a whole other story in itself. I mean, you witnessed it, right? Yeah. Okay. I think with all the talk about the you know, multiple discussions we've had on the course, I think we've intrigued Adam Purdy enough that he's got to see this to believe it. <laughs> uh, there's a bottom line. I was like, what is this chutter you're talking about? What's an illegal club? In in I, it it's only legal in Montana, Nevada, Oregon, Delaware. Soon which to be, ironically soon to be which ironically, <laughs> which, which and soon to be New Jersey. Ironically, the only states where gambling is allowed. <laughs> or sports book. <laughs> so they've used it in England for years. <laughs> in England, the chudder is standard fare. It goes great with tea. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, man. Well, we'll be doing it. It's just, the, the part that, that, that does make me laugh, I mean, really, in all seriousness, was last year when we were playing, I guess, I think it's now the second hole? I guess they they flipped the nines, right? Yeah. So it's the second hole, which is a par three. And I remember Craig and the Chief hit it to the left 
like just left but a little bit short of the green on the left side. I hit mine, how close was I to the green? Maybe four feet on the green? But it was it was there. It was in the neighborhood. Sure, but it was. was I'm I'm still short. Mm-hmm. But I'm short though. I and then I don't know. We finally found the suits ball, and so now we get there. And he says, "This is perfect. It's chutter time." Oh, you thought it was Christmas morning. And I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, "Perfect is on the green, ten feet from the hole, and we're all taking a roll at it here." <laughs> that was the moment where you saw where I was not exaggerating. He roots against us for his own personal gain. Then he hit the thing like 15 feet past. I told Jack the story. Yeah, he gave me a puzzled look. He says, explain this chutter thing one more time to me. I said, what, they don't use it over at Pebble Beach? <laughs> Oh, come trembling for air. <laughs> Adam Purdy, don't blame you for wanting to see this personally. <laughs> Hi, this is Steve Jones. Afternoons 3 to 5 on WKOK. Join me Wednesday, May 2nd at the Susquehanna Valley Country Club for the 27th Annual Truman H. Purdy Memorial Golf Tournament to benefit the Greater Susquehanna Valley YMCA. There will be morning and afternoon flights for the four-person scramble. You can win great prizes and be a part of the Steve Jones Show as we broadcast live from the tournament. For more information, call the Sunbury YMCA at 570-286-5636. I hope to see you on the course Wednesday, May 2nd. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us on the show today. Brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. Fourth Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. I don't know if anybody noticed around here. But I believe the NFL draft is this week. <laughs> Matt Lombardo, NJ.com, who also is a beat writer covering the New York Giants, joins us. Matt, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Steve, happy to be on the program. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start with this. I feel in a lot of ways, I know the Browns draft one and four. I feel like the Giants hold the keys to how this thing plays out on Thursday night. What do you think of, of the Giants' spot and what, what the thoughts are? Yeah, Steve, I absolutely agree that 
you look at the Cleveland Browns, and they're obviously going quarterback number one, whether it's Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield. Uh, that pick is earmarked for a quarterback, and that's when I think the NFL draft really begins is when the Giants go on the clock at number two. I know there's a lot of love in that building for Saquon Barkley, and rightfully so. He's actually who I believe the Giants are go- are leaning towards with the number two overall pick, but the question becomes – do they get get uh, allured by and drawn to the value of a quarterback? Do they trade back? Do they get drawn to one of the hog mollies, as Dave Gettleman calls them, and take Quentin Nelson to rebuild an offensive line that was among the worst in the NFL a year ago? What mm-hmm. do the Giants do? And I think that that's when the draft really begins in earnest is at number two. Right, and I think that's where it does begin. See, what I would do, Matt, and I was on a Cleveland show last night, because, I mean, you know, obviously – Barkley, I think, sitting two miles from here right now. <laughs> but you know, obviously they had me on the show to ask me about Barkley. And I told him straight out, I said, look, I look at this like the 2003 quarterback draft. You got Roethlisberger, Manning, and Rivers. I say, well, guess what? Now we know 15 years later how it played out. But that's the worst in this draft in terms of how close the quarterbacks are that you're going to get at four. No, you're you're right, and it, to me, there are a lot of teams in this draft that are desperate for quarterbacks. The Bills are trying to move up. The Patriots uh, would like to come away with a quarterback to eventually be the successor to Tom Brady, but the Giants have the opportunity at number two, and, and you know this better than anybody, to draft a player in Saquon Barkley who's a transcendent talent who can elevate this offense to an entirely new level to round out a skill position group with Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Barkley that can stretch opposing defenses thin, take a lot of pressure off of Eli Manning. And I really believe that if the Giants take Barkley, they're not all that far away from contending for a playoff spot in 2018, and it sets them up in a year or two to potentially trade up to get a quarterback and drop him into an ideal situation to succeed. I agree with all of that. Now I'll take it one step further. JPP was traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Does that bring Bradley Chubb into play? Yes, Steve, I think that Bradley Chubb is in play, but I don't know that he's necessarily in play at number two. I've talked to multiple executives around the league who they believe that the thought process around the NFL is that the debate within the Giants organization is between Sam Darnold and Saquon Barkley. That if Darnold is on the board at number two, it'd be very difficult for them to pass up on the quarterback. They have their their quarterback situation set for a decade, but Barkley, as we just talked about, can change the offense both now and in the future. But if they trade back, if they get an overwhelming offer to move back, let's say to number four with the Browns or to number five with the Denver Broncos, I don't think you trade back much further than five because I think you need to come away with a blue chip premium. But if you move back to four or you move back to five, I think there's a good chance Bradley Chubb is very much in play, not only because they dealt away Jason Pierre-Paul, but they looked down the Jersey Turnpike to the team that I used to cover in the Philadelphia Eagles who just won a Super Bowl by building along the offensive and defensive lines. Chubb is a guy that could immediately give the pass rush a boost and would put yourself in the arms race in the NFC East along those lines. So I don't think that there's a lot of value taking Chubb at number two, but if they move back, there's a good chance he could be in their sights at four, five, or lower. 
That's a really good point, Matt. Uh, when I've I've had a chance to see a couple of the quarterbacks in person. Obviously, I did the Rose Bowl game, so I saw Sam Darnold. I think I saw him at his absolute best. I actually saw Josh Allen play once in person. It was just a happenstance thing. I was doing. I was making a speech to a Penn State club, and Wyoming was playing there. Uh, how do you look at the quarterbacks? I mean, Jack Ham said to me on Saturday, he says Steve, they said the quarterbacks are jumbled. How do you look at it? I think there are issues with all of these quarterbacks. I think Sam Darnold is probably, he has the highest ceiling of anyone in this class. He looks the part. He acts the part. He has all of the intangibles on and off the field. But his decision-making is suspect, so I can't necessarily put him into that elite category. Uh, Josh Rosen is the most pro-ready, but there are concerns with his injury history, the, the shoulder injury, the two concussions. And then Josh Allen, in my opinion, He's the biggest boomer bust prospect in the entire class because he has the strongest arm, but he can't control it, and that completion percentage would scare me off if I were a head coach. I had an offensive coordinator in the NFL tell me that it's Darnold and it's everybody else because of his arm talent, his ability to extend plays and make plays on the run. But if I'm the Giants or any other team picking in the top four, I'm not just taking one of these guys for the sake of taking a quarterback. I'd have to feel really comfortable with them being a franchise quarterback. And I don't know that outside of Darnold, there's anything close to a guarantee that any of these guys have that potential. Obviously, around here, people would get a, a feel for what Kevin Colbert's done with the Seals and so forth. Gettleman, of course, you can get a read on what he did with Carolina. Is it a little bit different for you trying to get a read as to what he might do with the Giants? Because he doesn't, you know, because of the way the roster is constructed that he inherited and how he thinks. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a tough read to get on Gettleman to begin with, there, Steve, because he's a heck of a poker player, and as, as glowingly as he's spoken about Saquon, there's still the chance that he takes an offensive lineman or a quarterback. But I think that you look at the fact that he took. Christian McCaffrey, I believe number six overall a year ago, with the Carolina Panthers, who was more of a hybrid receiver running back type of a player, and the fact that he's come out multiple times and said that he believes that Barkley is the kind of talent that you can build around, and he thinks it's hogwash that the running back position has been kind of devalued in the NFL. If anything, I think he's tipping his hand a little bit there, but we'll see. They could go ahead and take Bradley Chubb, number two overall, on Thursday night, and I don't feel like a fool, but it might wind up being the right pick for them. So um, I think it's always difficult to get a read on front offices this time of year. I think Gettleman is a heck of a poker player, but, but I do think that you can draw a little bit based on the fact that he's not afraid to take a running back high in the draft as he did last year with the Panthers. You mentioned Christian McCaffrey. Also, Leonard Fournette was in that draft. Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott. Do you feel like those guys have made it far more palatable in based on recent trends for the Giants to take a running back at two? Yeah, Steve, I know this kind of good conventional wisdom, but I've, I've kind of noticed a trend in the last couple of years, and I think that the Eagles and how they won the Super Bowl and what they needed to do with Nick Foles in the playoffs to get there and win it uh, might be illustrating a bit of a changing of the guard in the NFL because conventional wisdom says you need to have an elite quarterback, you need to have a franchise quarterback to win Super Bowls, and I think it's always easier to win Super Bowls with a franchise quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Tom Brady, and we all saw Carson Wentz play at an MVP level until he shredded his knee against the Rams in December, but I think that if, if you're building a roster 
and you can have a complete team with a dominant defense that forces turnovers, that can play ball control and offensive running back, and you can spread the ball around to a multiple of options at wide receiver, and you have to have a dominant offensive line that protects your quarterback and is a road grader. I think it's just as easy in today's NFL, not just because of what these running backs have done and the impact that Fournette had on Jacksonville early in Los Angeles and the impact on and off the field with Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, but I think that it's far more easier now to win with a complete roster and let's say a pedestrian quarterback than it is by having an all-world elite franchise quarterback and a roster where he needs to elevate the rest of it to that level. How interested have you been in how Pat Shermer has viewed Eli Manning? I think it's fascinating because you look at Eli Manning, and he's a two-time Super Bowl champion. He's 37 years old. But today, during today's first OTA practice, he looked every bit of 37 years old. Very inconsistent, very streaky, and, and turned the ball over a couple times. And that's kind of what he has been over the last couple of years of his career. He hasn't really played at a very high level since 2011 and 2012. But last year, came off the rails early for the Giants. They lost Odell Beckham Jr. in week four. And the offense really took a significant step back, and injuries took their toll. But, you know, you bring Pat Shermer in here, who's a bit of a quarterback guru. You saw what he was able to get last year uh, with the Minnesota Vikings out of Case Keenum. Got him to play at a near MVP level for a stretch of the season. And it wouldn't surprise me that the Giants brought Shermer here to uh, get the most out of Eli Manning's waning years and an offense that worked around the pedestrian quarterback in Keenum. But it also wouldn't surprise me if the reason he was hired was to develop Manning's successors. So all roads lead to Thursday night, and, and that to me is when we're going to have a lot of the answers in terms of the direction that the Giants are taking. But everything that Dave Gettleman has done, everything Pat Shermer has talked about since they both have been hired, has been about trying to win this year, which is why I'd be mildly surprised if they took a quarterback at number two, and I'd be floored if they took a quarterback at number two whose name wasn't Sam Donald. Right, exactly. The next part, it's obviously more than just a one-night draft. There's second and third rounds on Friday, and there's fourth through seven on Saturday. So on the laundry list for the Giants, and the list is probably decently long, what do they need <laughs> and how they need to fill it in, in the next two days after round one? Well, let's take quarterback off the shelf, Steve, because I think that if they don't take a quarterback at number two, it would be foolish to take a quarterback at all because you've just taken Davis Webb in the third round a year ago, and you'd be investing a similar asset in probably a comparable quarterback this year. So quarterback has a need only through drafting it to for the future. But outside of that, they need to come away with at least one and probably two offensive linemen, one tackle because Eric Flowers hasn't attended one minute of the voluntary offseason program. He wasn't there for the start of minicamp today. The guard spot has been an issue. They lost out on Andrew Norwell in free agency. They solidified left tackle with Nate Solder, but you still got to fortify the line. You need to bolster your pass rush. You need to get another wide receiver. And I think you need to get some help in the secondary, probably with a cornerback. And you just talk about some of those positions. I can see Christian Campbell in their sights. I know that they're interested yeah. in him. I know they like Memphis wide receiver Anthony Miller a lot, uh, potentially a round two player. But if they go wide receiver in round three, I know they've done a lot of homework on Deshaun Hamilton, and I think yep. he'd be an ideal fit alongside Sterling Shepard and Odell Beckham Jr. So those are just some names and positions I think that Giants fans should keep an eye on. And I think there are some Penn State names squarely in that mix. 
Yeah, Hamilton's a, a terrific route runner and really effective from the slot. That's cer- certainly something. And Shepard can flip off. outside, right? Yep, yep. No, I agree. I, I think Hamilton, outside of Calvin Ridley, might be the best pure route runner in this class. And if you can use the speed of Shepard on the outside, the playmaking ability of Beckham on the outside, you move Ingram around, and you put someone like Hamilton or Anthony Miller or James Washington out of Oklahoma State in the middle, that's a pretty dynamic wide receiving core that can do a lot of damage both over the middle and stretching a defense deep. Finally, you and I both know, Matt, the way the league has been designed over the years, going back to Pete Rozelle's days, is that you have a draft that's done in reverse order. You now play first-place schedules through fourth-place schedules. Thus, you can make a move up the ladder from last into a, maybe not first, but a playoff mix. If the Giants draft right, can they do that? I think they can because, again, this is all predicated, Steve, on them staying healthy and not going through another year where Odell Beckham goes down, where Landon Collins misses time, where Eli Apple and Dominic Rogers Cromartie are completely aloof for most of the year. I think James Betcher is going to immediately improve this defense with his scheme and then move into a 3-4. I think Alec Ogletree was a tremendous pickup for them, brings them a veteran presence and one of the more dynamic linebackers they've had in years. You plug some holes along the both lines and offensive and defensive line, you bring in some. Barkley or even a Darius Geis or a Sony Michelle running back. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for the Giants to win between nine and ten games and push for a playoff spot this year. Now, I don't know what that does for you two and three years down the line because Eli Manning isn't getting any younger, but I, I think that with the right in this draft and, and the fact that the NFC East, in my opinion, is really the Eagles and everybody else, I don't see why the Giants can't make a push to be above 500 and maybe even sneak into the postseason. Matt, this is an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Appreciate the insight and conversation very much. Really enjoyed it, Steve, and really enjoy your work uh, calling Penn State football games, and uh, hopefully we can do this further on up the road. I hope so, too, because this was terrific. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for the kind words. You got it. Thanks. All right. Matt Lombardo, who is with NJ.com, fabulous uh, beat writer with the New York Giants, had been had covered the Eagles before that, so he knows the drill. That was some great insight because, I, to me, and that's why we wanted to get Matt on, we, we kind of feel like the Giants hold the keys as to what happens with the draft. Do they trade down? Do they take Sam Darnold? Do they take Saquon Barkley? If they do trade down, who trades up into that spot? I mean, I think the Giants have the ability to change the dynamics of the draft more so even than Cleveland. All right, what a great guest. Absolutely great guest. We'll come back with more in a moment. Wrap things up here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors. The Philadelphia Phillies play right here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Broncos swings and hits one right through Duffy, under his glove and through his leg. Herrera will score, and Hoskins hustling home. He's going to score as well. Phillies baseball on WKOK is sponsored by Mart's Game Farm, Murray Motor Chevrolet, Shade Mountain Winery, Susquehanna Valley Limousine, and Sunbury Motors. Join us for all the excitement of every inning of every game the Phillies play on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Great to have you with us. 
Great piece written today by Chris Spatola on The Athletic. The Athletic has gone out. <laughs> uh, Matt Lombardo does a great job with NJ.com. Well, on a national basis, you know, Fox cut all of their writers off their website. Fox does nothing but video now. So Ken Rosenthal and others were let go. And, of course, we all know about, was it about a year ago? Right around now? Sure was, yeah. This time last the, April, absolutely. The, the the purge at ESPN? Yeah. Well, if you, you, if you look at the purge at ESPN, maybe a couple of sports center anchors here and there were let go, which, by the way, you feel badly for all of them. You don't want to see that happen to anybody. Right? But most of it was were the writers, the ones who have chops. And the ESPN really, really is lacking chops right now. I mean, really lacks chops. Um, because all the people that had the access and the chops are also every every place else. Dana O'Neill's gone. She's at the Athletic. Andy Katz is now doing a lot of BTN stuff. And you just keep going on. How many stories of Brett McMurphy break in college football? How many stories does ESPN break in college football now? They don't. Well, the athletic Chris Spatola did a fabulous article today. Because I think he's talking about the New Jersey gambling case, which I've brought up many times before, because I think it's a pivotal case in the sports landscape. And he mentioned that the decision from the Supreme Court is between now and probably July. And he brought up something, and I brought it up before, but it's worth reiterating. The pro leagues, I think, are fine in this, in that they're pro leagues. So, I mean, they're out there. Their vision, their goal is to make money. They have a finite number of franchises. The NHL has 31. The NBA has 30. Major League Baseball has 30. The NFL is 32. Uh, and that's who they take care of. And the NBA's talked about the Australian model, the 1% in every wager made. Or I, I think it's 1% in every dollar waged that they would get. You know, that would be their proposal. It's not etched in stone. But as Chris Spatola points out, what does the NCAA do? And to me, that's the part I brought up as well. What does the NCAA do? In basketball, you have 351, 351 college basketball programs, 65 or Power 5. How would the NCAA handle, if handle it? They're in the trickiest spot of all. Because I firmly believe that New Jersey, which, by the way, you want to know how many, you know, this case has gone six years. You know how many levels, Sean, that New Jersey has won to get to this point? None. Every level that New Jersey has presented this case to, they haven't won. But now it's before the Supreme Court, and they think the door is open to them winning. If they were to win, it opens the door for everybody. And the question is, the question to me will not be how the pro leagues handle it. I think they've already got an idea how they're going to handle it, and they're going to get a lot of money from it. It's how does the NCAA 
handle it, if at all. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. 